right. Hello, Steve Dunn Podcast. I am joined today by Molly Ruggieri. Molly is the founder of Counterculture Club, which is an organization that provides events and venues for people to meet in an alcohol-free setting. Molly also works as a life coach and is a certified alcohol freedom coach, working one-on-one with clients as they explore their relationship with alcohol. Molly is making the sober lifestyle fun and open and positive, not something to be ashamed of or regrettable. She's an exceptionally thoughtful person, and I learned a lot from this conversation. I'm happy to be with Molly Ruggieri. drinking, I couldn't find many resources that spoke to me or that I identified with. And I created something that I almost saw as an earlier intervention or something that I wish I had found earlier in my journey because I put off quitting drinking because I didn't want to identify as an alcoholic and I didn't like this, you know, all or nothing forever. So what I'm trying to do with Counterculture Club is give people a way in to experiment with socializing and not drinking, to try other activities, to create this life of freedom and fun and position it in a exciting way and a way that you can become more of yourself and reach your potential. And it's not doom and gloom. And many of my members you know, occasionally still drink or they've entered into the group as sober curious and then ended up going fully sober. And that's been really cool because we're not telling them this is the way you have to live. This is what you have to do. Like you figure out what you want to do. But when you're here in this space, you're alcohol free and you get that experience and that data that you can live that. And then you decide what you want to do with it. It just gives people that confidence that they can really do anything, but they're not going to be able to find these container alcohol-free events because these days even workout classes have alcohol. Like you can't necessarily go to anything and guarantee you won't be pushed, alcohol won't be pushed on you. So we just alleviate that pressure and give people that opportunity to like test the waters. You wrote an article at some point, it was something like five myths about drinking. Mm -hmm. And one of them was about the myth of the healthy attributes of drinking or something. And, And that really got me thinking about the messaging that we received because it's not uncommon, at least once a year, there'll be some sort of a news cycle around about how like, um, you know, like one drink a day is like actually good for your heart or something. That's, yeah. a, that's a story that's been bandied around, for, I mean, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Another one that I've noticed is there's this genre of article out there that's about like the oldest person in oh, yeah. New Zealand or something. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, she, yeah, she's 115. And she says that the secret to her longevity is doing a shot of whiskey every day and smoking a cigar. You know, it's, right. there's always, it seems like there's always some angle about um, mm-hmm. the glorification of alcohol in these sorts of ways. And there's been new research that just came out, I think, from the Heart Association saying, again, like, no amount of alcohol is good for you. And this whole like one drink a day is good for you because of the antioxidants. Like you can get antioxidants from other places besides a glass of wine. But that is like very clickbaity and people are looking for that confirmation bias that their drinking is okay and that they can have that glass of wine and they're actually doing themselves a favor. I think that's right. I mean, I, it's definitely true for me. I, I would, I would, I love stuff like that because, mm-hmm. you know, I could read that and be like, oh, well, actually, you know, little alcohol is actually better than none. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Part of it also is the lies that we tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. And 
what you're you are a certified life coach you mm-hmm. are an alcohol freedom coach is mm-hmm. that the way to put that you are also either have become or are becoming certified through this naked mind yes. which is now this is a, a book uh, or is it a community created by annie grace is yes. that right yeah. yeah so it started out with she wrote this book this naked mind and it's evolved into now there's several different programs that you can do online through this naked mind and then there's also the coaching certification which is like a six-month program to take what she did in the book and then there's all these tools that we implement with clients i'm sure that as you are uh, going through the certification process and and learning how to deploy the techniques that the community has developed Mm -hmm. um, that that part of insight into your clients or or helping your clients achieve insight into themselves is a big part of that process a hundred percent yeah and i'm realizing like I did this process sort of organically and I didn't even know I was doing it. Basically like changing my belief system to make alcohol free lifestyle something that I was happy and proud of. But, you know, I didn't want to quit drinking. I was 27 and I felt like my life was over. And, you know, I did go to AA meetings and I did 1990 and that the messaging and the, the program, it, kept me sober for sure, but it just didn't really align with, it didn't really work for me. I didn't, I didn't, I don't really buy into the normal drinkers and abnormal drinkers idea. I just think it's, it's a spectrum. And I think if you drink, you're on that spectrum. And yes, some people have a healthier relationship than others, but at the end of the day, we're all drinking the same toxic substance. Right. And, you know, I'm not trying to demonize alcohol. There are plenty of things I consume that aren't necessarily healthy. I have a huge sweet tooth. So it's like, I'm not coming from a judgmental place. I don't judge anyone that drinks, but I think we all as a society need to acknowledge that we're not immune from the effects of alcohol just because we don't drink as much as like the homeless person under the bridge or something like that. Like we need to, we can all examine our beliefs about alcohol and look at how we use it and be curious without making any sweeping claims like I'm giving it up forever. Societally, we treat alcohol very differently from something like cigarettes, right? Which Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's like kind of a broad consensus that like smoking at all is bad for you. Right. We don't have. Right. And it's stigmatized and you're forced out of a lot of public Mm -hmm. spaces. You're sort of, uh, and over the years, it becomes more and more and more. When I started working in restaurants when I was a kid, there were smoking sections Mm -hmm. in all the restaurants. I mean, we, we thought it was a mind boggling concept when certain states started banning, uh, smoking Mm -hmm. from indoor spaces. But bit by bit by bit. It's like the cigarette smokers now, you find them like huddled around like the, the mm-hmm. vestibule of the office building, like out in the cold, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> and, but uh, drinking is like not only not that, it's almost like the opposite of that. It's uh, glorified and affirmed. And um, do you find either in your own experience or in interacting with the people who you work with that they're, that abstaining from alcohol is like actively discouraged by society or like kind of looked down upon in a way? I definitely think it is still stigmatized. I think we're moving out of that as like these sober curious terms are coming out and more, you know, celebrities, like people are having more open dialogue about alcohol use that we didn't have even when I quit drinking four years ago. Um, And, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous is anonymous. So these transformations were happening with people, but not necessarily being talked about. So now there are different paths and people are being more vocal about their stories. And I think that is making it more culturally acceptable to not drink. I think we still have a long way to go, but we're on that trajectory of, 
of making it more of a blend. Like even going to restaurants now, you'll find non-alcoholic drinks like mocktails. I call them like alcohol-free cocktails, Um, like non-alcoholic beers. And I'm seeing more and more of that. And sometimes I'm wondering, is it this just because of my reality of being really immersed in it or is it actually happening? And I think objectively it is actually happening and it's awesome. But yeah, I think it's still stigmatized. You have to have a reason why you don't drink. You're going to get follow-up questions if you say, oh, I don't drink. I feel like it's slowly becoming like cooler and younger people like Gen Z is drinking less. Millennials drink less than Gen X and boomers. Like slowly it's things are starting to change. And for me, I'm like, of course they are. We're getting more research. We're getting more into our health. We can't keep this alcohol blind spot if we're saying we care so much about, you know, natural plant-based diets and raw foods and green juice and exercise. And it's like, this is a carcinogen guys. Like if we're going to address our eating and what we're putting in our bodies, like let's at least accept what this is and like, you know, be objective about that. You're so right. And, but there's, I feel like doctors in particular are mm-hmm. reluctant to sort of tell it like it is with respect to this because yeah. they don't want to like alienate people or put them off i I don't i i um well doctors drink too well that's true yeah (laughs) that's the other thing it's just it's so normalized that i mean i went to doctors that even said to me like well they didn't ask me how how much i drank first of all even though i was having these health problems that could be traced back to alcohol that wasn't something that was really asked about because i was young and i didn't look like you know an alcoholic or something i went to this one doctor that was like if you were 10 years older, I would send you to a f- treatment facility, but I'm just going to tell you to stay off the hard stuff and like not drink liquor. This was like a blood, like a hematologist doctor that was literally like not telling me to stop drinking, just like don't drink liquor. And like, you're having a conversation with the doctor yeah, about this problem. And that gave me permission to keep going. That's right. It's, it's you're, you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm thinking now about how uh, if I bring up to somebody like – that I've stopped drinking or that I no longer drink or anything like that. The reaction is almost never like, oh, good for you. Like, never. congratulations. That's amazing. Yeah. Like, good for you. It's usually, it's more like, huh, wow. I mean, were you, Are like, you okay? did you have a big problem <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And this is what I was, what you said before about celebrities is interesting mm-hmm. to me because, um, there's a singer named Jason Isbell who yeah. has – he's famously – I mean, he's written multiple songs about not drinking anymore and the process of stopping and stuff like that. Whenever I become aware of a celebrity who's become sober or is, you know, open about it, I am guilty of always assuming, like, oh, okay, you must have been – I just assume that mm-hmm. Jason Isbell must have, like, just been, like, face down in the gutter, you yeah. know, like, drinking a bottle of whiskey all day every day, whereas – I know from my own experience that that's not necessarily it at all. Mm-hmm. It's entirely possible and appropriate and common for people to stop drinking and be really glad they did and really have needed to, but who had a relationship with alcohol that would have been and was perceived by the public and by their friends and family as being mm-hmm. perfectly normal mm-hmm. and perfectly healthy. I've noticed a couple celebrities recently that have said, I stopped drinking, but what I love is that they're not saying like I'm in recovery and I was an alcoholic. Like they're just saying, yeah, it wasn't serving me anymore. So I let it go. Like I think Adele recently mentioned that she stopped drinking and um, who else? Like 
Chrissy Teigen, she posted about reading Quit Like a Woman by Holly Whitaker and that book like skyrocketed after that. And she's not saying like, I'm an alcoholic. I'm never drinking again. She's just like, yeah, it wasn't working for me. And that's important to people like Googling sober celebrities is something I know a lot of people have done, including myself and, you know, they're role models. So for them to come out and say, you know, I'm not necessarily aligning myself with rock bottom alcoholic, but I am recognizing that it was a problem for me and that's it. And there's no, that's all that it, it, there is to it. It was holding me back from being my best self and showing up in my life as presently as I could. Nobody ever gets pushed back on quitting smoking, do they? No. Does anybody? You get the congrats. Has anybody? Yeah. Has anybody? You're like if, finally. <laughs> yeah. Like oh, I quit smoking. Like ooh. Uh, well, you could pro- maybe you could smoke a little. I mean. You yeah. Could, you could pro- you could probably still smoke. Right. right. Don't you, you didn't think? have a problem with smoking. Come on. You can still smoke when you're with us. You can mm-hmm. smoke, right? I've got some people that I know that are doing a dry January, and mm-hmm. I've got I know some people that are thinking like, well, maybe it's going to be more than a dry January, you know? And and I want to be supportive of those people and I want to be there for those people. But I also am not, I'm very uncomfortable checking in on them because I don't want to set up any kind of expectation. Like I'm counting on them to stay sober. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? How do you manage that? Offering, you know, resources or saying I'm here. If you want to talk, like tell me what you need, but not necessarily checking in and, saying like how many days do you have you know like they'll come to you when they want support or advice but we can't necessarily push it onto people um yeah I think just saying I'm here but not not being overbearing about it is is totally the right approach because then again it's like it's about the quality not the quantity for me so I'm not I don't necessarily day count I mean I count like how many years I've been sober just because it's relevant in conversation but you can be sober for a year or two years or three years and not actually be doing anything to change your lifestyle or your beliefs about alcohol. And then you could go back to drinking, but you could be sober for a couple of months and have all these revelations about yourself and your relationship to alcohol and be way stronger than the other person because they're not doing that internal work. And I don't think that work goes away if you do drink again, or if you don't drink again, oftentimes Drinking again might give you more insight into what your triggers are and help you learn and get stronger in your alcohol-free or alcohol-reduced lifestyle. So that's sort of my approach. It's very much like when I'm coaching people, I'm not teaching them to be sober. I'm helping them to get to the point where they no longer desire alcohol. And then they can make the decision of whether or not they want to keep it in their lives. Do you do life coaching outside of alcohol freedom work? Right now, my focus is alcohol freedom. I can coach people on, I'm, I got my certification as a generalist, so I can coach people on any kind of life circumstances they want to work through. And that's the other thing is my coaching isn't alcohol use in a vacuum because everything else in someone's life contributes to their alcohol use or their lack thereof. So for example, a lot of my clients came to me because their drinking changed during the pandemic. They started drinking a lot more and then they you know, especially the older people that I work with, like it just sort of came out of nowhere. They managed it well for 45, 50 years. And then all of a sudden it changed. Do you have a sense of how Charlotte compares to other cities, whether it's New York or other places that you just know about um, in terms of its drinking culture? And I, I, here's what I'm getting at. One of the things that I, that I know people say is that so much of the social life in this town is just 
built around breweries? Like yes. just going to breweries? Mm-hmm. Is that unique to Charlotte or is that just kind of the way the world is now? Um, so I actually used to work in tourism for Charlotte in our PR department. So I know all about the Charlotte beer scene and the brewery scene. We definitely have more breweries than most other cities. That was like one of the facts we toted was we had 60 plus breweries in the region. Um, I think drinking culture is big everywhere. I mean, coming from New York City, it was, in my mind, much bigger in New York, but it's a huge city. So it's a, it's. a I've heard from other people that it's a big saturation in Charlotte in particular. But again, I kind of came back and I was a non-drinker, so I just wasn't going out and experiencing that as much. I mean, I do, I go to bars sometimes now because I do have friends that drink and you know, it's it's just a big scene everywhere. But yeah, the brewery culture is, is huge here. And it's a big part of the Charlotte social scene. It's interesting how different people have to deal with quitting. Um, I can go to bars. I can I can be around people who are drinking. My mm-hmm. wife still drinks alcohol. We have alcohol in the house. It's, mm-hmm. it's fine. I just mm-hmm. don't drink it. And, and I haven't had a particular problem with that another thing is that i do drink non-alcoholic beers Mm -hmm. i do too (laughs) okay yeah Yeah. but people are people are of mixed minds about that right Right. Mm -hmm. and it's not just that people have different opinions about it it's just that some people it doesn't work for them like it's just not a good idea right um and so that's intriguing to me so for me a brewery culture is not that big of a deal of course i'm married and mm-hmm. I don't go out at all and you know I'm, I'm a boring older guy you know it's <laughs> fine but I, I I I could I think like go to a I have been to breweries and just had a whatever their seltzer thing is yeah. or, or just water you know mm-hmm. it's fine that's fine for me but I imagine a lot of people struggle with with that I know a lot of people struggle with that mm-hmm. and just being around it and that's got to make it hard especially I think for dating yeah, I actually, one of my first dates was with my ex-boyfriend was at a brewery and we both didn't drink. Um, so they have non-alcoholic alternatives and things at breweries. I'm very much advocating for more of that. I'm writing about the places that do a good job with the non-alcoholic drinks in the hopes that more places will acknowledge that that's a need, that people want that option. It really, for me, it goes back to motive. So if you're drinking a non-alcoholic beer and you know in the back of your head, you're kind of like, I kind of hope this gets me drunk. Or like, maybe if I drink three of these, I'll get a little buzz. Like if that's what your your angle is, then like probably not a good idea to be drinking those. And that's why like in certain recovery communities, they call them near beers. Because if you're drinking that, they believe you're already on your way to a relapse. And maybe that is the case for some people. For me... I get a placebo effect from drinking a non-alcoholic beverage and it makes me feel more included in social settings. It takes the attention away from me. I feel internally, again, like you said, nobody cares or notices, but it it adds an element of like, I feel like I'm an adult rather than drinking a glass of like tap water. It's It makes you feel like you're a part of it. Yeah, I, it, that's interesting. So I have, um, especially early on in the process of quitting, I would be one of those guys that would get like the soda with lime at the bar Mm -hmm. and I think I I almost think feel like every bartender kind of knows what's up as soon as you order that I really do I mean I think they're like oh okay yeah you absolutely here you go (laughs) um but that soda with lime is a nice drink to have because nobody's gonna ask you what you're now this is before I realized that nobody cares at all Mm -hmm. anyway you know this is when I was worried like okay I have to like make it look like I'm drinking and I've actually been at um 
I was at I, I, we have I was at a party or something, and I had I had my non-alcoholic beers, and I was drinking those, and everybody mm-hmm. just assumed that I was drinking beers, and I was okay with everybody assuming that. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm less concerned about the appearances of things, but the um, the non-alcoholic beer for me, what's nice about that is it's just like a, I drink a lot of seltzer water too, kind mm-hmm. of same, same thing. It's, it's mm-hmm. sort of like a, it's like a, a little, it's like a, like a fun water or something. Yeah. It's like an extra special, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like little treat or whatever. Uh, it's hard for, it's been hard for me to find non-alcoholic beers that were like palatable. Mm, interesting. <laughs> yeah. So we can, we can share tips on that. One thing I have noticed that you suggested that you think that non-drinking is becoming more prevalent and more of a culturally acceptable thing and Mm -hmm. like maybe even there's a cool factor could be associated with it i believe that i've observed that the non-alcoholic beer selection seems Mm -hmm. to be growing in places the shelf at total wine which is where i get some of mine it's got like when i first started going there it was like a tiny little sliver of one little aisle and now it's like a bigger it's mm-hmm. still small but it's it's a much bigger chunk and i've started to see more options like yeah. at harris teeter and food lion well that's a, a valid and true point like there's lots of money going into the non-alcoholic beverage industry and more of these alcoholic brands are creating like alcohol-free beers like heineken has a zero percent alcohol beer and the big companies are starting to realize that there's a market and a desire for these products so you know, that's where the money is going, that there's going to be more push for, for those beverages and more demand. And so that's interesting to watch as well. Like there's every day I'm hearing about a new non-alcoholic beer or spirit or something. And I've, I've tried several and I think it's great. And I want to see just, I want to see them. I'm very like much a stickler. Like I want these things on the menu Yeah. because that is also like a takes away a barrier to entry if you can just say i'll have the athletic brewing ipa yeah you don't have to be like "Mm, do you have any mocktails yeah you have to like you know call attention to yourself yeah um no it's true and there are i've i noticed now uh the places that have options and mm -hmm. it's it's some it's not i wouldn't say it's most i wouldn't say it's many uh, but there are some i love when you ask for a mocktail and they're like Oh, I don't know if we can do that. They just look very confused. It's yeah. like, this isn't rocket science. Like, just put some lemon juice and seltzer and, you yeah. know, or make the exact cocktail you make, but don't put the alcohol in it. Like, simple as that. People get really confused sometimes when you ask if you can have a non alcoholic version of something. I tried a couple of the wines. Um, so the only place I've seen that is at Total Wine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't think I've looked at Harris Teeter to see if there's non-alcoholic wines. I was afraid of non-alcoholic wines because I, I was a serious wine drinker. I, I, when I say serious, I mean, yes, I mean I was committed to it and drank a lot of it. But I, I also mean I drank, like, good wines. And I was mm-hmm. in a wine group. And we would mm-hmm. taste fine wines. And we would, you know, talk about them. I would talk about them. And yeah. you know, I knew about, like, the regions. And, you know, all the, I learned a lot about it over the years. And... Um, so I was really pessimistic about non-alcoholic wine, but I've had a couple that were, they were fine. They were like, uh, like daily drinkers, you know, I didn't always drink super high end wines. Mm -hmm. I I did nothing I like better than like an awesome $10 bottle of wine. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So I would, um, and I think some of these non-alcoholic options are sort of, so sort of comparable to that. I'll have like a non-alcoholic beer or something at home occasionally because I do like enjoy the taste of those, but the wines... I was also a big wine drinker, so I just don't really, for me, I don't really need that. I think if I went somewhere and that was the only option, non-alcoholic, I would drink it. But 
I'm not going to spend the money on like a expensive non-alcoholic bottle of wine. I'm like part of the benefit of not drinking is saving money on not spending money on alcohol. Absolutely. So yes. I would be just as happy with a kombucha or a seltzer or something that's like a little lower priced, but I'm totally happy with that soda and wine. Soda yeah. water and lime is great. Mm -hmm. So it's just like a seltzer. We're both drinking seltzer water right now mm -hmm. while we're doing this. And <laughs> I, I love it. I think it's delightful. I do, I do a lot of these at home as well. Uh, but there's something, I don't know, there's something about just a non-alcoholic beer. And it's become like a little joke. It's become kind of a joke in the household. Like if I have like a few of them, it'll mm -hmm. be like I'm heavy drinking tonight. You yeah. Know? Like <laughs> I, I had a rough day, so yeah. I'm going to come home. And, and I, I, I don't know. I joke about those things. Um, but what it's like I say, I've, I'm learning that um, so many people have such a different experience and mm -hmm. really, really struggle with that. And like, like I, I just know folks um, who don't want to mess with non-alcoholic beer because yeah. it's just like it's, it's a, like a trigger i think is the, yeah. the terminology that you mm -hmm. use and, um well how do you coach people through that like uh, i imagine do you do you get involved with people sometimes who are like at the moment of stopping mm -hmm. yeah it kind of runs the gamut i've worked with people who have been sober for years and who are just kind of stuck on some specific beliefs that they may have gotten from different recovery programs that they can't shake or um, people that are, they've been sober for like a month, but they want to make it more long-term. And then there are people that are still kind of struggling with it. Um, I, you know, I'm not going to necessarily work with someone who's physically dependent. I will give them like external resources because with coaching, you kind of want someone that's at baseline because it's very future focused and goal oriented. So if they're, they're not functioning, then that, I can't, that's not at a level that's necessarily coachable. So in that case, I'd recommend like starting with therapy or, you know, maybe even an intensive outpatient program or treatment or something like that. So it just depends on the individual. You have written about sobriety fatigue. And <laughs> you did your research. <laughs> <laughs> you have uh, written about the point at which it, can be exhausting to have your identity and your daily focus be around being sober. Mm -hmm. And there, there's a couple of aspects of that. One is that at some point, your sobriety, which takes up so much of your attention in the early going, mm -hmm. and it's such a hard thing to maintain, it's just a daily challenge, eventually just becomes a new habit, yeah. and a, a new way of life, and mm -hmm. it just becomes normal life. But then there's another aspect of it in which um, it can be a big part of your identity, your mm -hmm. part of your persona, and um, and part of your personality in, in a way. Certainly, the way that you're regarded by others. If you're trying to date, or you're trying to make new friends, or yeah. you're um, trying to just explaining yourself uh, in this world in which you're the outlier. So you have written about sobriety fatigue, but you also have chosen in a really intentional way to make it your career. Mm -hmm. And so how do you, I don't know, what are you currently thinking? It's been a while since you wrote that column. And, yeah. Um, but and you haven't been sober like super, super long. You still are young. And, you know, so I, I'm just wondering kind of where you are on your journey now in regard to that. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting because yes, it is my work, but I don't actually think about my personal relationship to alcohol very much because it's, it, it is becoming something that sort of just runs in the background. I don't have to worry about it. I'm not triggered on a daily basis. I just don't care about it. Do you find it personally rewarding to be working with others who are work themselves working through these issues? 
Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely do. And it's like I said, it's something I'm super passionate about. I'm always reading about it. I'm really interested in it. So I know when to turn it off, especially with, you know, people that do drink. I don't want to be that person. that's like, well, you know, like only five ounces a day is the, you know, I don't, I don't push it on other people or really talk about it outside of like work circumstances, but it's an important part of my life. It's not my identity. Um, so it's just kind of a blend and a balance of, of caring and being passionate about what you do, but not letting it define who you are. In the early 20th century, we collectively amended the constitution to make alcohol illegal Mm -hmm. (laughs) throughout the entire country. Mm -hmm. And then like nine or 10 years later, we amended the constitution again (laughs) to undo that. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, I'm, I'm a lawyer and the, the whole idea of, amending the constitution is almost incomprehensible like certainly in today's political environment like we literally can't even pass any basic law now almost state or federal right because of the polarized uh, political environment that we live in to amend the constitution requires like a near consensus like it requires like just structural because of how many votes you need and all these different places like pretty much almost everybody has to agree to do it yeah and we did it uh and then we undid it And that's interesting to me to think about how the current culture around alcohol is not something that has lasted forever. In fact, it has been very different. And there are, in the the decades leading up to prohibition, there was a strong temperance movement and there was an expressly, you know, anti-drinking movement that was largely in many ways tied into the women's movement and the the growing of women's rights. do you think there's going to be something like that? Because we're, we've been talking about this as like, well, we're, you know, we're not judgmental and mm-hmm. we're, um, and we're, you know, not trying to tell other people what to do. And, uh, we're just trying to be like, not stigmatized right yeah. now. But like, do you see like the possibility that there could be like an anti-drinking movement that really takes momentum? I don't think so. I mean, I'm not a prohibitionist. I don't think outlawing out alcohol would be a good idea at all. Like I think, you know, that's a whole other conversation about mm-hmm. like legalizing drugs and whatnot. But um, I think that it's just a matter of giving people more information so that they have more agency in their own lives and they have the ability to make their own decisions, but they need to have all the information. And I guess I'm not so much asking like what your view is on this or whether yeah. you would sign up for that movement because I would not sign up for that movement no, I either. I, I, you know, <laughs> neither one of us is doing it. I'm more like thinking like – it would have been very recently totally incomprehensible to me to the extent that it wouldn't even cross my mind, literally mm-hmm. wouldn't even enter my consciousness to imagine that there would be a, any, a an anti-drinking social movement in the United States that had any kind of steam. Mm-hmm. But it, now, as I think about it, it actually seems like a logical outgrowth of um, – growing acceptance celebrities you know like mm-hmm. it, it, and and as we were comparing it to smoking right yeah. i don't i think you could just turn the screw just a little bit i i do say that i do feel like in the future alcohol will be seen the way that cigarettes are seen because yeah. it is a carcinogen it yeah. does contribute to all of these illnesses that are preventable and whatnot so I could definitely see a world where in, you know, 50 years, maybe like we kind of see it in the same way of like keeping it like, 
you know, being more ashamed to admit that we drink alcohol right. or whatever it is. So yeah, socially, the social climate is changing. I think from a legal standpoint, like we're never going to have prohibition again, but the social stigma does seem to be shifting in the other direction. Very yeah, slowly. The trend, the trend the is trend. going that way. Yeah. We'll probably look back, uh, you know, 30 years from now, like we'll look at movies and so like right now, if you look yeah. back at like movies that came out when I was a kid, like in the eighties, everybody's smoking right? and you see it, you see it in the movies and you're just like, well, wow. That's weird. Yeah. It's so strange. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that guy smoked. And it, it, you sort of like, you think like this guy who's supposed to be the hero or the protagonist of the tale, whose, whose character is not in any way based around being a badass or being like, scary or something like that but you see him smoking you're just like wow that seems out of character right you know for this person who's supposed to be unambiguously you know good right right yeah i wonder yeah we'll probably look back and at this time and sort of see the prevalence of drinking in our pop culture Mm -hmm. uh, in a way regard it in a different sort of way i had a conversation with some friends one time where we were talking about long-term bets for the future like what's something that you think will be true in a hundred years that's definitely not true now and this might be one of those things mm-hmm. i thought the same thing about eating meat that was my proposal mm-hmm. i i was saying that it wouldn't surprise me if in a hundred years eating meat is illegal right mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i don't, but but similar sort of theory like there's yeah. there's a health basis for it there's an environmental argument for it there's uh there's a moral argument for it if you believe that it's immoral to kill animals for whatever reason you know i'm i'm not a vegetarian <laughs> not uh, my daughter is a vegetarian yeah. um she decided at the age of nine to just but i you know i just wonder if that's one of those things i don't know we're not I, the steve dunn podcast is willing to go anywhere uh, <laughs> if you want to talk about drug legalization policy we're i'm happy to go there <laughs> as well i mean i think i think you and i probably may be of like mind in the thought that prohibition is not effective whether or not it's um, good policy for other reasons, it is self-evidently ineffective at preventing people from using the substances that are against them. Right. Well, it's sort of like we make kids wait till they're 21 to drink alcohol, but then we're drinking alcohol in front of them and that makes it look cool and makes it look grown up. So kids can't wait to try and experiment with alcohol earlier. And, you know, in other countries, it's like demystified a little more than it is here. Um, yeah, but in those same other countries, don't you think people drink even more? <laughs> I don't know about even more. I mean, yeah. definitely, like, in the UK, they drink a lot. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it's always going to be appealing to kids because it is everywhere and in the movies and the, the, the people they admire and on social media and things like that. And it is positioned in kind of a positive, sexy, glamorous way. So... But yeah, I mean, the part, the fact that it's forbidden when you're a kid and you have to wait till you're 21 and then when you're 21, you can indulge it, like makes them want to do it more. The, the, the argument against, and this, this would be the argument that I would articulate or would have articulated for sure, would be that anything trending toward restriction or prohibition or uh, shaming or, you know, it's just a disapproval or anything like that is like puritanical, like yeah. archaic, yeah. Uh, backwards thinking. There's something like... There's something about the way that we approach alcohol in our society as though it's like cosmopolitan and open-minded. Mm-hmm. And that makes it appealing. I think that you make the good point that we, we don't let you drink legally before a certain age, uh, but 
so that makes you look forward to it yeah in a way and right? then when you get to that age you know your parents hand you a glass of champagne that's and you're right. inducted into the alcohol that's right society you can drink openly at home at that point yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it's interesting your 21st birthday is a uh did, did you drink excessively on your 21st birthday you Molly? Know, I I was really into martinis. Yep. My 21st birthday, I was like, got myself a shaker, and I was like, I'm going to be, now that I'm 21, I can drink how I want to, like with a fancy glass at the bars, and like that was, you know, really big for me. I loved martinis. Mm, me too. Uh, I went through a long period of doing martinis. So martinis are great for, you, you referenced, you said something about, um, you said in one of your pieces, I spent the last few years of my drinking career thinking about pretty much nothing other than alcohol. And I love that phrase, drinking career, mm -hmm. because I think it accurately describes the intensity and focus that you bring to the pursuit if you're really into it. Mm -hmm. And martinis are a great thing for somebody who's pursuing this seriously yeah. because there's there's an art to it there's mm -hmm. uh there's there's um apparatus there's the shaker yeah. and the glass and the you got the coldness and you got the, the little parameters you can tweak like you know, how dry do you want it and like mm -hmm. do, you, do you like olives do you want do you want olives or do you want do you want blue cheese olives right. you know and so gin or vodka and which way there's so much about it about the ritual of the ritual. it that mm -hmm. is really rewarding but yeah i love martinis i did martinis oh and but if you're a serious drinker the other thing that's great about martinis is that they're like all, all business yeah, yeah exactly it's like you can have like like three or four drinks worth of a drink just mm -hmm. in the one and that's certainly where i was coming from like, mm -hmm. it's high class you mm -hmm. know it looks good yeah it's it's just funny it's not i mean not funny funny but it yeah. is interesting to observe how if we are drinking the expensive wines or the top shelf liquor or we're at a 500 hundred dollar plate restaurant like we can't have a drinking problem because we're drinking fancy or like we're drinking in a sophisticated successful person way and you know i would drink ipas and i said it was because i liked the taste better but really i liked the higher alcohol content and i discovered that those had more alcohol in them i'll bet that you and i are not the only people hearing our the sounds of our voices who when we're at the brewery and we're deciding which ipa to get mm -hmm. you know they very helpfully put the percentage yes. right there and so yeah. i mean for me it was a no-brainer i was mm -hmm. just like all right the, the, this one's five and that one's eight Duh. deal yeah <laughs> i'm not even like trying the three or four percent like that's a waste of time it's inefficient really i'm amazed that you were able to pull this off in such a short amount of time because mm -hmm. when we started this conversation it sounded like you the way you described it was you went from zero to 60 and 60 to zero like mm -hmm. it sounded like really quick like you're it was only out of hand did you say it's just for a couple of months or a few months i mean it was it's a gradual build. Like I'd say in my twenties, like definitely when I got to New York, it, it picked up, it was gradual, but it didn't become, I think that switch flipped when I was drinking to self-soothe and to numb and it wasn't fun anymore. So that part only lasted for maybe like a couple months. And it was like after a big traumatic breakup, but it was definitely like becoming increasingly more of a problem before that. And it was becoming more important to me where like everything I did, I wanted to be drinking while I was doing it. Like going out with friends. I didn't want to go to a museum. I wanted to go to a bar or I wanted to go to a concert and I wanted to drink, get drinks beforehand. So it was like, that was where I found my fun and my enjo like enjoyment. 
I'm so happy for people who figure this out young. It's a journey. There's a lot of zigs and zags along the way of fully and finally stopping. And the sooner you can even cross your mind that it might be a good idea, I think yeah. the better chance you have of getting there in a healthy yeah. sort of way. I mean, all of the success I've had in the last four years, it wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't stopped drinking. Because like I said, alcohol was my focal point. It was really like a primary motivator for so many different things so once I removed that I could see my life clearly and figure out what I wanted to do who I wanted to be and not be distracted by this like endless search for fun and escape that alcohol provided for me but like to your point about being younger I remember my first AA meeting when I um, actually went with my dad and he forced me to get a white chip and I just didn't want to do it. I'm like, I've never been a big participator. So I was like, can I just like sit here? I don't want to go up there and I don't want to do it. And I did eventually go with his like pushing me and I just sobbed and I felt like my life was over and I was surrounded by people that were like 25, 30 years older than me. And I remember thinking like I was so jealous that they got to drink longer than I did. And that was sort of how I felt in that moment. And now looking back, I'm like, thank God I quit when I did because I was able to like stop the damage in its tracks and like be my best self and like get my shit together way sooner than I would have if I had kind of hobbled along with alcohol another 10 or 20 years. I think the reason that I, there's many reasons why I stopped, but one of the reasons why I stopped was that I was rolling the tape forward in my own mind Mm -hmm. about what does life look like when I'm 60? What does it look like when I'm 70? And I think I felt like I knew, I knew that it was, <laughs> it was already getting harder to get up in the mornings. It was already like hitting me harder. It was already, already I mean, I'm, I'm already aging and having all of the, um, the health effects that go with that, which are harrowing you know, for anybody. And totally exacerbated by my overindulgence in alcohol and I I was thinking about like what am I going to look like and am I even going to be alive at mm. that point if I keep doing this because I could see the trajectory I was on. it wasn't it wasn't like as I was getting older I was drinking less or having a better attitude about it that's not the direction that it was going mm. and you know I I like to think I mean I think anybody who ever stops is a good time <laughs> you know it's like they you know like they say like the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago mm. but the second best time is right now yeah. you know it's yeah. probably the same thing about drinking yeah. right the way I try to frame it for people and the way that I try to position our events and my coaching is that we're not running away from pain we're running towards like freedom and a better life and that reframe has been like life-changing for me and has made me like proud of this choice to be sober rather than like I lost my drinking privileges well, Molly Ruggeri, I have learned a lot from this conversation. I appreciate you so much being yeah. with me today on the Steve Dunn Podcast. Thanks for having me, Steve. This was great.